Episode number two, I'm Tiffany, and this week I chatted with my friend Camille Santoki, who's a producer here in Los Angeles, and actually one of the very few Los Angeles natives that I've met since I've been here. Uh, I do apologize in advance for the fuzzy audio that you're about to hear. It's actually a little, it's, it's a little much, but I think it's bearable. Uh, we were in the car, and I just, a light bulb went off, felt like a genius idea to uh, record a podcast while driving. So the audio is a little fuzzy, uh, but you can still hear her because she has a voice that projects and you would probably hear her from New York. Um, So this is Camille. She's from LA. She's a good girl. She's funny. She's really talented. And uh, we were driving back from Santa Barbara. You can read about that day trip on thelatransplant.com find out a few destinations to go to if you want to do a quick getaway from the city like we did recently and uh yeah have some fun read about that listen to this and i'll catch you on the other side can you hear me this is camille i'm camille santoki born and raised in los angeles so yeah we came up here to the beautiful santa barbara and now we're driving back to my homeland of los angeles where i was born and raised So this is the LA transplant. We usually talk about moving to Los Angeles and adjusting to life here. However, you are a native of this town. Uh, Yes, Um, I'm a third generation Angelino, which is pretty rare. My mom went to North Hollywood High. My dad went to Hollywood High. Uh, My dad grew up in Laurel Canyon. My mom grew up in Hollywood in the Valley. Uh, My grandparents actually grew up here too, some of them. My grandmother grew up in Hollywood. Her dad, so my great-grandfather, came out to Los Angeles. And he uh, made his fame and fortune in the world because he became a heavyweight boxer. Do you know who Jack Johnson is? The no. Jack, I can't believe you. Tiffany is a black lady, and she doesn't know who the first um, You mean the guitar black player? Ath- she doesn't know the... She doesn't, no, I don't mean the fucking <laughs> white, black guitar player Jack Johnson. He is very white black, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. just saw his picture for the first time. I was like, oh, he's not really like, oh, all that black. Oh, that's Jack Johnson. Okay. Yeah, no, he actually, actually, this is on topic because Jack Johnson went to UC Santa Barbara. Oh. He was a surfer and he majored in film. And he did surf videos when he was at Santa Barbara. And a lot of his songs reference his time at UCSB. I, like one of his songs, when I was eating lunch at the DLG, the DLG is a dining hall on campus. Uh, Camille is also a singer in two bands, <laughs> not one, but two bands in the area. Anyway, um, so no, my my great-grandfather uh, boxed Jack Johnson, the first famous black athlete in America, who was very progressive. Um, and my great-grandfather is the only great-grandfather that I know of that you can find on YouTube because some of his boxing fights are on YouTube from the teens. Uh, but yeah, he fought Jack Johnson, who was the first black famous politician. They did the movie The Great White Hope. Um, that's all about Jack Johnson. We all know that movie, by they the They also way. did a documentary on PBS a few years ago about him being the first famous black athlete and all the racial barriers he crossed. Um, he, like, dated white women only. That was pretty insane for the teens to be publicly dating white women 
<laughs> in the not fucking 1915 in America. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Um, anyway, so they, and they remained friends, uh, my great grandfather and him. So actually, my grandmother came home one day when she was 15 in Los Angeles and Hollywood and found Jack Johnson in her living room. And what did she do when she opened the door and saw a big black man in her living room? She screamed. And my, my great grandfather was like, hold your roll. Like, I know this guy. We're having coffee. Um, yeah, so my great grandfather came out here because he was retiring from his boxing career because you can't be a boxer forever. And he came out to Hollywood to kind of like make it, you know, continue working. He thought there was a lot of opportunity here. I think he bought his house in Hollywood for something like $2,000. And um, they were kind of always poor here. My grandmother just remembers being not so rich growing up. And um, she said growing up in Los Angeles in the 30s was awesome because it wasn't very crowded. It was kind of a small town. And you could go out to the nightclub when you're like 16 years old, see an awesome show, and get to hang out with actual movie stars. And she was this like hot blonde girl, so she got a lot of attention. And she married really young, a surly driver. Have you ever seen any Preston Sturgis films? No. He did like Christmas Christmas in July, um, Miracle of Morgan's Creek, uh, I'm trying to think of it. Sullivan's Travels was one of the big films that Preston Sturgis did. Anyway, so he was his bodyguard and a bit player in all his films. Um, because he used to get himself into trouble and so he needed someone like big and strong to like if he like offended someone to be like <laughs> he would like needed someone to step in and protect him if he uh, got himself into trouble um, anyway so yeah so he like lived this awesome life even though they were kind of poor he had a cool job my grandmother married young had three kids including my mom uh, was a widow really early her husband got polio um, and then ended up committing suicide because he was paralyzed. That's kind of a sad story. She remarried like two years later to this uh, Hollywood film director. And they had another kid together. And then they had my mom. Or no, well, my mom was her first husband. Um, and she grew up in L.A. And the L.A. she grew up in is totally different than the L.A. I grew up in. Because it was still really small. I mean, L.A.'s population didn't really explode to like... It was kind of exponentially explosive. But L.A. went from being like kind of a smaller town to... Now it's the second largest metropolis in the city, in the nation. So my mom really saw the transformation. My mom and grandmother. My grandmother's still alive. What does your grandmother say about LA today? Oh, she's like kind of, she's a little conservative. She just kind of laments that it's not as safe and small townish as when she was younger. That's her big thing. She's always like, it's dangerous now. And when she was younger, it was a safe city. It was small and you didn't have trouble finding parking anywhere. So do you feel like it's a dangerous place? No, I grew up here, so I'm used to it. I think dangerous is all relative. I mean, obviously Los Angeles isn't dangerous to say Syria or somewhere. Like, <laughs> Way um, to put that in perspective. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I, I mean, I think growing up in LA, I think I'm probably more careful than a transplant because I know exactly which blocks in which neighborhoods are safe and unsafe. Like, for instance, Hollywood, where I live, I live, like, on the edge of Hollywood, close to West Hollywood. But if you're in Hollywood by Highland and Santa Monica, that's, like, a really dangerous intersection. You still live by there, too. <laughs> I think that was my exact <laughs> intersection. <laughs> and me and John did a podcast on this, actually, where we talked about the trannies that used to change clothes yeah. outside of my bedroom window. And actually, I've seen LA change a lot, too, because I grew up in the Hollywood Hills. And for instance, my parents bought our house in the Hollywood Hills for $300,000. 
and they sold it for like $300,000 because they sold it right after that 94 earthquake. But that same house sold like 10 years later for like 1.3 million. Wow. Like things have changed crazily since I was a kid. So, I mean, I remember we used to, I have a sister that's six years older than me. We used to drop her off at punk clubs in Hollywood that were like really dangerous. My mom would be like, you don't leave the front of this club. Now, if you go to Hollywood, Hollywood's probably really safe. Like Hollywood Boulevard, there's constantly people around. Back in the day when I was a kid, Hollywood was like that intersection you used to live by. Like yeah. it was like, it was like prostitutes and trannies. It wasn't, there was Hollywood Highland didn't exist. Right. So it was a whole other world. I think they definitely cleaned it up and they're also building a lot of apartment buildings there and, yeah. and shopping centers. So you know that there's going to be heavily, heavily policed uh, presence. But yeah, I mean, even like Sunset Strip, obviously we're, we're seeing that undergo a major transformation because I live near Sunset Strip and they just raised all these old buildings by La Cienega and Sunset. I don't know if you know about that development complex. Yeah, I'm well, seeing a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, but it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like bittersweet. I mean, that's the thing that's awesome about LA is LA is constantly transforming itself and reinventing itself. And I think now they're starting to really try to preserve the old Hollywood, but like right where I used to live, but right where I live now um, by Sunset and Crescent Heights, there was this crazy giant complex called the Gardens of Allah that a silent film star built in the teens that had like a pool. And then, so it was like her giant mansion. And then when she fell in hard times in the thirties, she turned it into kind of a hotel residency. And it was this cool place, like artist collective kind of place. And then they totally raised it in like the fifties or sixties. And it's now there's like, you know, a bank and a McDonald's and a subway there. You know, like it's sad that that kind of stuff has been lost to time. But at the same time, LA is not stale. It's constantly reinventing itself. So you were recently offered an opportunity to move away from this place and start a new home in New York City. Yes, I was. But you declined because you love LA so. I love LA so much. I'm not moving to New York unless they offer me a million dollars. Why do you love uh, LA so much? I love LA so much because you can drive 20 minutes and be anywhere you want to be. And, you know, I think that I need space. I love having space. And I don't like New York because you, it's very, you feel very boxed in there. When I go to visit people, like stuff, space is just smaller there. Like I remember when my sister was living in New York, we went to the Whole Foods. Whole Foods has this whole complicated line system. Where like because space is so small, they have to like have a whole like it just it just feels boxed into me. I like being able to drive and be at the wide expanse of the ocean. Yeah. And like the ocean's there in New York, but you're 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 boxed. I mean, it's just, everyone lives in like tiny little boxed apartments. I live in a studio apartment that would not I could not like I would have to pay like triple what I pay in New York to have my space there. I don't know. I just I, I mean I just I like being. I like exploring different neighborhoods. You, you can explore different neighborhoods in New York, but I don't know. I just, I love the kind of magical mystique of LA of like, a, it's like almost like a fairy garden to me. What? I've never <laughs> heard it described as a, a fairy garden. And I don't I... mean fairy in any kind of homosexual way. I mean fairy is magical. I feel like, like LA is like, feels like an enchanted forest to me. Like driving down Sunset Strip and seeing Chateau Marmont and Laurel Canyon, like it feels like I li it feels like there's more nature around us that's not manicured. I'm going to Runyon and Griffith Park, <clears throat> it's it's expansive. Okay, so living here though, like 
I guess you never had. I always talk about what it takes to. I'm sorry. Wait, sorry wait, is wait. that a wildfire? <laughs> so there's just a open flame off the freeway on the 101 that we're passing. That looks like it's something out of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see that on the news later. Oh no, it's a torch. <clears throat> wow, someone just has a really big torch. Um. Wow. Okay. Yeah, sorry, that was just a, a little diversion. A little um, distracted. Sorry, what was your question, Tiffany? What was my question? Okay, so you grew up here, so there was never a period of adjusting here, but I guess yeah. what is it like to grow up in LA? And I know that you don't have much to compare it to, but like, I know your holly, your um, high school was a unique situation. Yeah, I went to Marlboro School for Girls. I went to a prep school, and it was all girls, and everyone's parents were pretty well off. I mean, when my sister started Marlboro in 1990, it was like $8,000 a year to go to. By the time I graduated, it was like over $20,000 a year. So I think it really exponentially got more expensive. Um, and now I don't, and now it's like $30,000. It didn't, it didn't adjust with the normal rates of inflation. I mean, it, it definitely got exponentially more expensive. Um, but yeah, but private school in LA was a really intense scene. It was very competitive. Uh, so, I mean, tell me, what was a day like in a, in a high school here in LA? Well, you know, I woke up in the morning. My mom took me to school. I lived in an apartment. I was the only girl in my grade who lived in an apartment. Everyone else lived in houses. I mean, maybe there was a couple others, but my grade was maybe 90 girls. And, um, you know, get up, go to school. I don't know. I mean, it was... It was normal. It was a prep. It was a prep school. It was a prep school experience. But I'd say the weekends were really different because I feel like in smaller towns, you know, maybe it seemed like at Marlboro there was extremes. Either you were extremely sheltered, like I was, where my parents didn't let me go to parties with boys. Uh, you know, I was kind of dropped off at the mall for a few hours and picked right back up, or I was dropped off in a movie and I got picked up again, um, or I dropped off at whatever event. Like I was kept on a short lease leash other girls in my school were like taking cabs to sunset strip and getting drunk on sake bombs and, and getting and doing like cocaine and limos with like movie stars so like, they were living the life that we see on tv basically yeah like there was people whose high school was like gossip girl yeah. that existed here um because it could because it, it like you know if your if your parents are like actors who know movie stars and are like doing their own partying they don't like they're not that concerned with their teenage kid i mean or if they are concerned or it's not that they would like their kid to be doing drugs and drinking but they're just not really monitoring them and obviously that wasn't the case in my household at all i mean my mom kept a really tight leash on me but for other people like yeah they were pretty much allowed to do what they want i mean there was a girl in my grade I'm not gonna need names but you know she was doing a lot of ecstasy in high school and she would mention like i know that ecstasy makes me stupider but it's so good i don't know i mean i guess i guess kids in small towns do drugs a lot too. kids everywhere do drugs are you crazy yeah i guess so i mean i don't know so what, what, what do you what, what do you is anything about what i'm saying about high school surprise you or feel different than your own high school experience well it's different because i didn't go to a private school let alone a private school in Beverly Hills. So I was well, it was in Beverly Hills. It was Hancock Park, but yes, Hancock Park. Did you grow <laughs> up in that area though? What part did you um, live in? When I was, my parents divorced when I was ten. Before my parents divorced, we lived in the Hollywood Hills. Like if you keep on going past the Hollywood Bowl, they lived like 
kind of in between Studio City and Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like a big house. It was pretty small. You know, it was a small three-bedroom house. It didn't seem fancy to me, I guess, compared with... I went to, like, elementary school with Richard Dreyfuss' daughter who lived, like, in a giganto estate. And I remember one in the second grade, the first time I went there, I came home to my house, and I realized that my bedroom was the size of her bathroom. Oh, <laughs> I remember saying that to my mom, like, um, Emily's room is the size of my bathroom. Or, Emily's bathroom is the size of my room. Like, this is crazy. Like, you know, I, I learned really, really young, like, when I was, like, seven or eight, that, like... I, I, you, just, you understand money at a really young age. I don't know. I feel like the... Oh, but that's how it is everywhere, right? I mean, didn't you go to people's houses that were richer than yours when, in Alabama? Or did everybody have, have the same level of wealth? I... Everyone didn't have the same level of wealth. And I do... Like, now that you say that, I do remember going to those houses. But I never remember feeling a certain way about it or thinking twice about it. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't not think about it when it, the... It's that drastic, yeah. I mean, her house was so big. It was crazy. I mean, she, her guest house was bigger than our house. Right. But so then when I, when I think about like raising a kid here, it seems like the last thing that I would want to do. Like I love living here for work and play, but then I see that you turn out okay. And so, well, I don't know if you turn out okay, but, (laughs) but I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how financially how people do it. Like my sister has baby twins and basically their game plan right now, because even though my sister's husband does pretty well, that's private school is still insanely insane. Yeah. You know, my dad was barely making it work. Um, and now it's so much more expensive. I don't, I don't know how people do that. Um, my dad's a lawyer, by the way, but he wasn't like a baller lawyer. Um, he, he did pretty well, but like, he wasn't like crazy. He wasn't like, a mil- he's not a millionaire. Um, I think that how people make it work now is they move away to school districts. Where? They're good. In the Valley? Do you have to go deep in the Valley? Like uh, Encino? No, that's not even a good school district. Not even Tarzana is good. People move all the way to Valencia. Oh my they god! They move all the way South Pasadena is really good. That's not the valley, so that's basically what people do. Or they sacrifice on a house. I mean, the thing that people growing up in LA now is like I, nobody I know my age, my income level owns a home unless they move really far away. Yeah. So I think that's the big difference. Is like people don't buy homes in LA unless you're really really rich. Or you decide to go really far away. But it's okay. Like, not owning a home, like, isn't a big deal. Like, I just read something recently about how, like, owning a home isn't a marker of success anymore. No, that's so 1995. (laughs) Yeah, right? I mean, people I know who own homes, like, I know people that live in condos in the valley that are underwater. Like, owning a home can be actually, like, a stigma against you if you don't, if you bought it at the wrong time. Yeah. Or our coworker who bought that home in East Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Who later abandoned that home, but we won't get into that. Um, But I wonder because, like, when I'm out here, I only meet people that are from other places. Like, I rarely meet people that are from here. Is it different from you being a local? Yeah, I mean, it it is different. Well, I would say that the L.A. of my youth is totally different than the L.A. of post-college. Because, like, I came back... So, so few of my friends from high school and even elementary school stayed in LA. Like there are, of course there are some, but it's not people I'm like was close friends with. None of my 
none of my close high school friends, well, one, are in LA now, but she just accidentally moved here for grad school. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I had to restart a whole new social group when I graduated from college and started working here. I would say 90% of my friends are from work. Um, and I had to read, and I never, obviously, like, as a kid, I didn't go to bars. I didn't have a fake ID that was good enough to get me into bars. Yeah. So it was a whole new city that I got to explore, which is fun. It was fun graduating from college. Even though I was coming back home, I was like, oh, wow, I have all these cool new places I can go because I'm 21 now. So your friends now, though, are most of them from somewhere else? Oh, definitely. Do most... you find yourself having to give a lot of advice being a local? Um, I would say that early on it was more so, but now that I'm in my, I mean, I'm almost 30, a lot of my friends have kind of, we've grown up together here, so we've explored the neighborhoods together. But yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I know about stuff that nobody else knows about in LA. Like, I was going to Runyon as a kid when nobody went to Runyon, um, and it was pretty overgrown and wild, um, and it wasn't as manicured as it is today. But I'm, yeah, just like little things, just like little streets, little shortcuts, stuff that I forget about. I realize is like an LA locals thing. Um, and it's always nice to run into other locals, but yeah, most of my friends are from out of town. And, but it, to me, it's awesome because it's like, I feel like even though I didn't go out and live in another city, like I've stayed in Southern California most of my life, I feel like the rest of America has come to me because I have friends like you from Alabama, whoop, whoop. <laughs> from Pittsburgh, from New Mexico, um, from New York. Uh, just from everywhere. I feel like I have friends from so many different states and I've gotten to travel in that way just hearing everyone else's experience. So that's both part of the magic of LA is it's so multicultural. And forget, I'm from different states, from different countries. Right. You get people here from everywhere. So a lot of people, it seems like, on their bucket list to either visit here or move here or live here to pursue their dreams. And, I mean, that does take a lot of planning, but what do you say to someone who wants to move to L.A.? Like, what should they consider? I think that, obviously, they should come out here and visit for a while and see what they're in for. Because I think a lot of people are like, when they get to L.A., they're like, oh, man, it takes 20 minutes to get everywhere. Like, my car. It's like, you have to like driving if you want to live here. The other thing that's complicated about L.A. is I found it's easiest to live near your job or live somewhere if you're working in a freelance position. Like, it's good to live centrally. Yeah. Um, so, it's it's good to get here. And ex- I would, if you have the luxury of doing so, of staying here and really driving around the city and seeing what neighborhoods kind of jump out at you. Like, I have a friend from Chicago, and she just absolutely loves Sherman Oaks. I mean, that is her jam. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, different neighborhoods appeal to different people. So, if you have a chance, really spend as much time as you can here ahead of time exploring the multitude of neighborhoods and seeing what you want because if because for me I wouldn't want to live in the valley it's 10 degrees hotter than the city and I don't like the culture around I mean it's fine there's awesome places to go in the valley everyone shits on the valley but I think the valley is a great soft landing for people that are coming here not really knowing what to expect very good soft landing yeah um but if you're working in the city like we had a coworker who had to stay in Encino and her commute was brutal. You remember that with Caroline? Oh yeah, yeah. Like it was brutal. So if you know that you're gonna, what I would say to people, if you know what your job is before you move here is gonna be in Hollywood, live near there. My big rule is always, if you li- if you work east of the 405, live east of the 405. Yeah. If you work west of the 405, live west of the 405. 
All right, there you have it. That was episode number two of the LA Transplant with an LA native, the all-knowing Camille Santoki. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about her or anything that we talked about during the conversation, you will likely find that on the website, www.latransplant.com. So check that out. And until next time, I'm out of here.